Well, a very good afternoon and welcome back to the Saturday Sports Show here on 102.9 CRCFM. Well, as you all know, the much maligned European Super League continues with the fallout drama as Juventus, Barcelona and Real Madrid are facing sanctions by UEFA, but more pertinently for Juventus, they are facing sanctions from their own league association of Serie A. To discuss this, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by former RTE Rome Vatican correspondent Paddy Agnew and current Italian football expert who is joining us here to speak about the Agnellis at Juventus who have gained a huge amount of control not just at the club that they are synonymous with but also within European football as a whole. Paddy, many thanks for joining us here on the sports show and for taking our call. Good evening to you and good evening to, to you keeping good evening to all our listeners. If we can begin with the Agnelli family, of course, of the of the famous Fiat uh, Motor Group, they have huge control over Juventus. It's a, a really huge club within the European footballing pyramid, yet the performances and results have not matched the wage bill on the players and the luster of Cristiano Ronaldo, Paolo Dybala and uh, Aaron Ramsey as well, of course, who is garnering a major salary. So it does seem like a natural next step for them to try and uh, carve something out for themselves. Unfortunately, this seems to have kind of totally blown back in their face. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Uh, the Agnelli family have always controlled, uh, as you say, have always uh, owned uh, Juventus. It's like a, a family, a family, a pet family toy. Uh, and it's currently run by Andrea Agnelli, um, uh, who's the uh, uh, son of Umberto Agnelli, who was also president of the club, and uh, whose uncle was Gianni Agnelli, who's probably the most famous of all the uh, Juventus presidents. But to back to your question, uh, I, 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 Andrea Agnelli uh, has been very keen to, uh, on the Champions League, um, the Super League idea. He's been very keen on that for obvious reasons, and you indicate. I mean, uh, all the clubs, all the dirty, so-called dirty dozen, they've got huge debts. They've got huge problems, and uh, Agnelli and obviously uh, Florentino Perez and Real Madrid. I mean, they're they're the two major ringleaders, if you like. They saw saw it and see it because I don't think it's over yet. They see it as a way of making of generating more revenue uh, um, because you know their 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 debts uh, are huge. Um, for example, uh, you know, the, uh, I, uh, let me just say this about uh, um, Andrea Agnelli. He took over. He was appointed president of Juventus in two thousand and ten. Um, he presided over a, a fabulous decade in, in which. You know, they won the uh, Serie A title nine times, uh, but also uh, they um, built a stadium, the Art Stadium for themselves, which is a really money-making stadium. Uh, and generally, the, their um, box, uh, not their box office, their revenues to, uh, went, you know, quadrupled in that decade. They went from something like... Uh, um, saying this off the top of my head, but it's about 250 uh, uh, million to uh, twice twice or three times, I've forgotten which, but it's, he he greatly increased revenues, they made a lot of money, and then of course, 
uh, along came COVID and uh, box office uh, stadium money making stopped. Uh, and uh, he, that was that's his major uh, reason to get involved in uh, to promote because he leads the dance on it, the uh, Super League. Huge debt, I suppose, has been incurred by many of these Southern European clubs. They are historic in name, uh, certainly with regards to European competitions like the Champions League. Is it being viewed as maybe these new upstarts who, of course, have been represented in the Champions League final this year, the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea, of course, owned by huge private investors, oligarchs and petrol states, PSG, quite similarly, having financial fair play introduced by UEFA, but not really being upheld and followed to. Is this just the inevitable conclusion for some of these clubs who the likes of Juventus, who has seen AC Milan in the past very quickly slip from the top echelons of European football down to barely even qualifying for the Europa League? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, it's very simple. They need, you know, the, these huge, these huge uh, clubs uh, need more money all the time. Um, and uh, Juventus, you know, as, as because it's a part of the Fiat family, um, it's always been fairly carefully run. And for most of uh, Andrea Agnelli's time, uh, he's tried to balance the books. But it's only recently he now finds himself in a situation where he's got about 350 um, million worth of debt. Uh, and that's why, and I'm, I'm, I don't know what the figures are for all the other clubs because uh, off the top of my head, but I'm sure, uh, but I know the Barcelona have got huge debts, even bigger debts. Real Madrid have likewise because of, because obviously, yeah, you know, they've, they've spent, um, everybody knows how much it costs to put the Galacticos together, Real Madrid. Uh, Agnelli's uh, biggest problem is, is, of course, that he, in, Having won the title for seven times, uh, he won it seven times in a row. He really got fed up of never winning the Champions League, and his big uh, uh, desire was to win the Champions League. So, in 2018, uh, while the Russian uh, World Cup was still being played, he uh, bought uh, Ronaldo, and, and the the Ronaldo deal was the deal which over the years would come to about uh, 300 million. Uh, and that was 300 million which obviously he had to borrow and and he has spent that on Ronaldo because Ronaldo's he, he, he's on a, a, a huge 100,000 purchase price 100,000 sorry uh, 100 million purchase and then uh, he was he's on a, a 30 million a year salary and all sorts of other sponsorship deals the whole deal comes to 300 million um, and Guess what Juventus' uh, current debt is about 350 million, the largest part of which is Ronaldo. Uh, and that's the reason why, and the same applies in, for different, change the name of the footballer, uh, and the same applies to Barcelona and to Real Madrid, but uh, the various, uh, you know, uh, that they have heaped out in people over the years. If I can ask about the relationship, Paddy, with uh, Antonio Conte. He was yeah. relieved from his duties with Juventus, of course, hugely successful player and manager there with the old lady. He's gone on to win the league title with Inter Milan this year. 
yeah. how has that kind of been perceived at Juventus losing a manager of that caliber and of course then kind of humiliating them by going on to win the league with their rival well it's a bit more complicated than that in the sense that, you know he Conte you're right Conte was um the first important appointment made by Andrea Agnelli and he won uh, uh, 2011, 2012, 2013 straight away, won three titles in a row. And everybody was expecting 2013, 2014 season to win a fourth one. Um, when he surprised uh, uh, Juventus by saying, you know, he wanted out and he was going to take the Italian uh, team job. I suspect because, um, you know, uh, I know Conte a little bit and I, he's a very, very ambitious guy. And I imagine he thought, well, you don't get that many cracks at doing the national team job and uh, I'll take it. Uh, and he did take it. He took it, for, uh, he took over from uh, Prandelli and he obviously took Italy to uh, what was a very good performance actually in the 2016 European Championship from France. But as for how do Juventus see him? Well, I mean, everybody's pointed out, ironically, that uh, Antonio Conte uh, was the man who kick-started Juventus' uh, climb back up to the top table of international football, their terrific decade. But he's also the man who stopped it because he, he's knocked him off the top now with, uh, off the top of the Italian table with um, Inter. Uh, I don't think uh, there's any bad feeling about it uh, between, between the clubs. That uh, what, But... What is very interesting, and um, you know, uh, I'll, I, I, is there a bad feeling between the two of them? I'll tell you more after they play, because as fate would have it, uh, on what is the second last game of the season on Saturday, this coming Saturday, uh, the uh, Juventus host play host to Inter, and uh, you know, if Inter were to beat them. Inter have already won the title. They don't need any more points. But if they were to beat them, uh, they would absolutely put uh, make it absolutely certain that Juventus don't play in the Champions League next year. They'll finish fifth in the league. And so there's going to be, uh, to that extent, there's going to be quite, there's a potential for a huge needle in the game. If indeed that result does go against Juventus, would it be curtains for Andrea Perlo at Turin? Well, yeah. If it hasn't been curtains for him before that. I mean, I'm sort of expecting the uh, the bell to toll for Andrea uh, Pirlo at any moment, you know. I think, uh, although, although you'd say, so what's the point in sacking with two games to go? Um, and in the end, they, they, they probably will decide, well, there isn't any point. But he um, he certainly won't be the coach of Juventus next season. Was there a false sense of security from Andrea Agnelli under the Conte years when, as you mentioned, Paddy, they were winning successive league titles? Now they have a headache of Cristiano Ronaldo's contract, Dybala's yeah. contract as well. Coming into yeah. their last year, obviously managerial issues, as you mentioned, with Andrea Pirlo also. Is it all kind of coming to a boiling point now for the club? No, you're right. The the Dybala salary, above all the Ronaldo question and Piero, there are problems. Uh, <laughs> the, the part of the problem clearly is that uh, Agnelli embarked on this hugely ambitious uh, project of bringing in uh, extra money to uh, buy Ronaldo, 
at the very moment uh, when uh, the club's uh, income started to go down a bit because, you know, they've been nine years in a row in the Champions League and they get to the quarterfinal some years, they get to there's only the, the, the second round some years, they get to the semi-final some years. Uh, uh, but uh, they, hadn't, they haven't done particularly well in the last couple of years and therefore their uh, Champions League revenue has been reduced. So that was one problem for him. Then bring in COVID and suddenly he's got a huge problem. Moving on to Inter Milan, who have been crowned the champions of Italian football. It's been a remarkable return to success for Antonio Conte and for the uh, Inter side. Very few would have expected them to run away with the league in a comfortable circumstance as they have. Uh, Ultimately, it has proven many of the rejects of English football have turned out to be quite the phenomenon over in Italy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it wasn't a surprise if you look at what we were people and me were saying at the beginning of the season. I mean, I was reporting that uh, people say Inter are the favourites, and to a certain extent, I, w- I was skeptical about that. But I did, I did acknowledge that other people did did say other people were saying they're going to be the favourites, uh, that they were the favourites. And um, the thing about Conti is that he's a very driven manager. He is, you know terrifyingly driven and he is you know manically inspirational uh, there's no question of it. he puts the, uh, together a, a team and he, he really gets uh, into his, his players heads and into their their minds and uh, he gets them to perform and uh, you know uh, he did it with the first inter uh, I thought he did it with a, an ordinary enough Italy at the European Championships in France Um uh, maybe he didn't do it so much at Chelsea. He won the title anyway because it was a very strong Chelsea team. But he still is somebody who delivers. Uh, and in two seasons, he's managed to deliver at Inter. And that's pretty remarkable. He's done it as well. with You know, some of the key uh, elements in personnel, and you, you talked about the, in, the Premiership uh, rejects. Lukaku is, is my man of the season uh, in Italian football this year. Uh, you know, he scored something like 21 goals. He's laid on about another dozen goals. He's been a fantastic uh, player, but he was one player who uh, Conte absolutely wanted, and he insisted that the club, uh, you know, splash out the uh, their biggest ever transfer fee to buy him. And he he will argue now. Of course, it was money well spent. Uh, well spent. There were, I mean, there were other other key players uh, in the in his set of them. Lukaku uh, had uh, the Argentine uh, Lautaro Martinez beside him. They were absolutely, the two of them were fantastic. Martinez wasn't a lot behind Lukaku in terms of his contribution to the game. Then he has uh, Nicola Barella in midfield, uh, Italian international, very good player. He has uh, Brozovic, the Croat, uh, very good player. Um, and, and he's had. Um, yeah, his team captain has had a good goalkeeper. Handanovic had a good uh, year. But arguably the biggest surprise at uh, Inter has been the right back, Hakimi, who's um, a Moroccan. And he has been, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy who's been around, he's played in uh, uh, German football, but he uh, and, and Real Madrid as well. 
but he's had a tremendous season, a huge impact. And I could, you, you could, if you, when you were coming to name the uh, Italian team of the season, Italian league team of the season, you know, all of those guys would be looking for a place, you know. A remarkable season for Inter fans on the pitch, but off the pitch, things don't seem to be as rosy considering the yeah. uncertainty with the ownership and the financial struggles of the club. Yeah, yeah. Um, Inter are owned by Sunning, which is a Chinese electronics giant. And uh, they too, like everybody else, have been badly hit by COVID. So in February of this year, they returned, I think it's a 1.4 billion net loss. And they made it fairly clear uh, that they're going to have to um, cut back. Uh, obviously, it's got to, and the cutbacks will involve areas like, like Inter. And so the gas thing here was that, you know, two weeks ago, Inter won the title. Uh, and last Monday, uh, Stephen Zhang, who's the uh, son of the, uh, he's the president of Inter Milan, he's the son of the stunning uh, uh, boss man. Uh, he uh, summoned together the players and said, well done, lads, great, you've won the title. Now we want you to take a 15% cut. <laughs> Another, and he uh, basically, well, he wasn't so much 15%. Cut, he basically said, I want you to, uh, I'm going to uh, reduce, I'm going to take away two months' salary. <laughs> and because he's, he wants to effect a 15% across the board cut at Inter in the current climate. So, you know, normally when a big club like Inter wins a, a title and they, they don't do it that often. Uh, but I mean, when they do it, uh, there are major bonuses all around. So uh, that came as a bit of a, a surprise you know, and a bit of an unwelcome surprise to the players. But, you know, uh, in the current climate, uh, they too will just have to adapt. Does that make it all the more surprising, Paddy, considering Inter were very quick to drop out of the European Super League plans and kind of denounce the idea even though they have serious financial issues, as you mentioned, they're asking yeah. league champions to take a cup. I look the, the Italian um, trio uh, in the champion in the Super League uh, fiasco, um, Milan, Inter, and uh, Juventus were basically led and dominated by uh, Juventus, and the two Milan clubs, uh, you know, watched from the sidelines, but they were for most of the way, absolutely in agreement with um, with Juventus, because just as Agnelli needs money, Sonning needs money, and the Elliott uh, hedge fund management, uh, US hedge fund management uh, company, they need money. They, and the, you know, Elliott, who run AC Milan, see it purely as an investment. Uh, they don't do it for any sentiment, a sentimental reason. Sooning see it as an investment. They're all talking hard. They're all talking hard money. And therefore, um, you know, their opinion, you know, it looks like Juventus and Real Madrid are the bad boys here. But, you know, uh, uh, my own b belief is that the, the, the dirty doesn't remain dirty. Um, what saved the day for football, uh, saved the day for now, were the fans, the Chelsea fans, the uh, Manchester United, the Liverpool fans, uh, objecting to what's going on. But it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's Luddite, Luddite stuff in, in the sense that, you know, these guys 
are going to come back at us with some other version of the Super League. And sooner or later, they'll manage to push it through, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and so I absolutely wouldn't say, um, you know, <laughs> Inter haven't lost uh, sight of the possibilities, the, the mouth-watering possibilities, as they see it, uh, of making even more money um, in uh, out of the Super League. It's the way... It, 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 we live in a world which, uh, well, at least for the last uh, 30 years, has seen uh, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, in every uh, uh, in every area of society, in every facet of society. So it's going to happen, and it is happening. It's going to happen, and continues to happen in football. Uh, and you know, fair play to the Man United, Liverpool, the Chelsea fans—they were able to stop it. But will they be able to stop it forevermore? I don't think so. Do you think the League associations like Serie A and maybe UEFA to an extent will follow through with these threats towards Juventus and uh, some of the other major clubs in Europe in ideas of banning them maybe from the league or even possibly demoting them? No. I mean, I spoke to uh, a very senior figure in the Football Federation uh, a couple of nights ago and he said to me, don't even listen to all that stuff about uh, bans. Uh, and uh, fine, there might be a fine, and that's what will happen. There may be a fine for the uh, uh, the Italian clubs because the other nine have already been fined. But there won't be a ban. Uh, there won't be a, a you know a suspension from the Champions League or being disqualified from the Champions League for a couple of seasons because if they go down that road, uh, it's it's carnage. It's civil war. You turn everything upside down. And uh, FIFA, UEFA do not want to do that. Uh, the clubs don't want to do that, and they will. So some at some point they will. Uh, at some point they will sit down and start negotiating things. But I suspect that you know uh, at the end of that negotiation will see uh, the new look Champions League uh, reformed even more. You know, because it was it's a new look Champions League that, which is meant to take place as a new look Champions League in. 2024 season and I suspect it'll it'll look it'll take on even more changes um, in line with the requirements of people like Real Madrid Juventus uh, uh, and others and you know the all the the, the, the they're they are a different type of people who own all these clubs you have the the Middle Eastern money in, in places like Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City you have the Americans in uh, Liverpool uh, and in AC Milan. Uh, but uh, one thing that unites all of those uh, is that, you know, the temptation uh, for greater revenues via a closed shop Super League is it will remain and they're gonna keep on arguing you know i mean the the point that they will argue all the time and they always do argue is you know uh, who provides a spectacle around here who plays these guys huge salaries you know we do so we're gonna have to have a much bigger say in the running of the show it's always been the tension between clubs and um uh, uh between clubs and, and then uefa and fifa you know I, I, and you, know, you would have situations, of course, where a player would go and play for his country in a World Cup final and break a leg or something, and he, he wouldn't be any good to his club then for a year. Uh, and uh, there'd be all sorts of rows about who should compensate who. 
well, insurance and, and, and contracts and sort of all that sort of thing out now. But the problem now is uh, much more, you know, we've, uh, we, the clubs, have created these huge uh, salary setups that's costing us a fortune. Uh, but we're paying these guys, not you. Uh, so we'll decide how, uh, we've got a, a right to say, uh, you know, just h- how much uh, uh, we run the club. It, it's, uh, we have a right to, you know, to decide much more in how these competitions should be run. How crucial was the position of Andrea Agnelli as head of the European Club Association, a representative body for Europe's elite footballing clubs in terms of pushing through this new look UEFA Champions League it's going to be totally different there's going to be 100 extra games placed upon the players this season and uh, only the likes of Ilke Gundogan who's already the Manchester City player has spoken out against this having the European Super League released the same week and the same announcement is there the argument to be made or is it perhaps a bit too conspiratorial to call the European Super League a Trojan horse for what was the real desire of bringing through historical coefficients for this new look Champions League? Or bring other changes for the new look Champions League. That's possible. Um, What is absolutely certain is that uh, Ceferin, the Slovene, who's the head of UEFA, was utterly taken aback um, by the uh, announcement of a Super League. Because, as you point out, uh, Andrea Agnelli was sitting down to a table with uh, UEFA and with Ceferin and Pals discussing the setup of this uh, 2024 new format Super, uh, new format Champions League. But at the same time, uh, without telling them anything, behind their backs, he was planning his own Super League, which basically is a rival organisation. And it's for that reason that Chefferin said, you know, I've never in my life seen anybody such a serpent and uh, never seen anybody lie so barefacedly to me. Uh, and, you know, and uh, he, uh, the, the two men uh, had a, a close relationship before that. So, which uh, obviously it came to an abrupt halt. Uh, but um, in the end, though, your, what your uh, original question could be very close to the truth. Certainly a lot of people wonder if uh, uh, both men will uh, huff and puff a lot, but will get back down to the negotiating table and set up some sort of uh, negotiations which will end up with a competition in 2024, which is still own, owned and run by uh, UEFA, but in which is a much bigger uh, club involvement, particularly the big clubs. Uh, and uh, that will mean that you won't have any breakup because a breakup uh, in the context of European football, uh, a breakup, a closed shop, salary cap type. Uh, Super League would uh, would do would do untold damage to the whole social fabric of football as we know in Europe. There's one gentleman who has done untold damage to many English Premier League clubs uh, during his tenure as manager. That is the Portuguese man Jose Mourinho. He has taken <laughs> up a new position with AS Roma as their head coach for the upcoming season. How? Has that been welcomed in Italian cir- footballing circles? They've loved it. They've gone mad about it. Uh, he, um, 
Uh, you have in the area of Testaccio, which is a in a Rome area, of, uh, a lot of Roma fans. Uh, there was uh, an, an ice cream sh uh, shop uh, created a, a new flavor of ice cream for the summer season. It's called the special one, uh, and they have uh, there's a mural in, uh, on the walls of Testaccio of. Um, Jose Amorino riding on a, a Vespa uh, motorbike and very similar to the, the one that uh, Gregory Peck, uh, Gregory Peck, Peck uh, rode in the, uh, I think it was 1960s film, uh, Roman Holiday with uh, Audrey Hepburn. Uh, by and large, the uh, Roma fans have gone mad. They're delighted because it's been a very disappointing Roma season. They're going to end up the season somewhere like seventh or eighth in the league. They got beaten yesterday, seven, uh, sorry, seven, they got beaten yesterday, 3-1 by, uh, by interest. So that it's, uh, and above all, they, they got stuffed by uh, Manchester United in the European League uh, semi-finals. So it's been a disappointing year for them. And this is, um, uh, a most uh, exciting piece of news for them because obviously everybody's uh, Italian football fans only saw uh, Jose Mourinho work for two years but there were two very dramatic years he took into to you know arguably the greatest year in their entire life in the uh, in their entire history in the, the 2010 you know when they won the uh, Italian title uh, Italian Cup and above all the Champions League so they they're hoping for they're hoping for more of the same basically. Could it be argued his style of football no longer really accepted or even adored in English footballing uh, audiences, but would be much more suited back in Italy where the defensive aspect would be maybe a bit more appreciated. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. You should might. I mean, essentially, you're absolutely right. Uh, he is essentially a. Very defensive coach, and always has been, um, and um, that system, the, the system of building uh, a team from the back and build, uh, working with a, a, a very defensive uh, setup, uh, obviously, is not a problem in Italy. People, a lot of clubs are very careful, although it's changing a bit. The national team under Mancini is much more offensive. But, but let me tell you a story about Jose Mourinho that uh, uh, certainly amused me a great deal. At, at the uh, uh, press conference up in uh, Appiano Gentile, that's the inter-training uh, uh, ground, uh, um, on the eve of the, uh, that Champions League final in 2010, uh, finally won 2-0 against Bayern Munich, uh, there were, you know, there were, the international press was there in great numbers. And there were a lot of English coaches there, and um, uh, sorry, a lot of English, my English colleagues, English journalists. And um, I remember one fellow, he, he stood up and he said, you know, Jose, you know, you were very defensive against Barcelona in the semi-final. I mean, you, you, you basically parked the bus in the penalty area, in the Barcelona penalty area. I mean, are you going to be more offensive against uh, Bayern? And uh, Mourinho looked at him. Uh, for a while, and then he said, that was not a bus. That was an aeroplane. <laughs> 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 
poor, poor, our poor old Jose, he certainly will have much more of an adoring audience, you just suspect, uh, in, in Italian football. Yeah. Where the, yeah. Would there be less scrutiny from the media as well on a manager like that? Well, uh, no, there's huge scrutiny on what he's doing on the pitch, but much less scrutiny in his private life. But no, he, he, I mean, no shortage of scrutiny for what he'll be doing on the pitch and uh, no shortage of uh, criticism if uh, things don't go well. Yeah, the, usually a trajectory of a, a honeymoon period for, for Jose at a new club and unfortunately it doesn't really seem to last since his previous successful stint in Italian football with Inter. Just with a look ahead towards the Euros, Paddy, for yeah. Italian football, hasn't exactly been producing bright names in terms of the youth production. Has there been a stall maybe in the development of Italian players looking at the league? The big names no. now are Frank Ribery, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Cristiano Ronaldo, all players well within the August of their careers. Yeah, no, it, well, there's two different things there. You're right uh, that you have people like uh, Ronald Abramovich and Ribery uh, playing out the, the, the last years of their uh, careers here. And it, clearly, you know, but, uh, um, I've been watching, I've been, lived in Italy since 1985. And when I got here, uh, it, it was... The I used to call it the Hollywood of football. It was the greatest uh, league in the world by a long way. It was where the Premiership is now. But uh, Italian football has, you know, has, 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 has lost a lot of ground since then. It has declined and fallen quite a bit. Um, so uh, that means that people like Ibrahimovic and Ronaldo can come here and still be very, very influential for both their teams. But on, as far as the national team is concerned, I would uh, beg to differ uh, 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 when you say that there aren't young players coming through. I, I would say that uh, Roberto Macini's side, the side that will play, that opens up the tournament uh, here in Rome against Turkey, uh, I think it's a very exciting team. It's uh, Mancini, you know, Mancini's a, is a true coach. He's a guy who won titles with uh, Inter, but he was above all a guy who was able to go to Manchester City and win the Premiership. So he's a guy who can perform at the very highest level. Uh, and his, his uh, Italy do not play in, in the old um, defensive style at all. I mean, he plays with he plays with his defence very high up the field. He takes... Uh, 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 he takes a big risk by Italian standards. He plays with a three-man defence, uh, and then he, he likes to play with uh, basically two men in front of the defence and, and and wide men in midfield. Like, you know what, what we used to call in the old days wingers. Uh, and he, he uh, you know, he, he, there are a number of players who, it's a, it's a good mix because you've got guys like uh, Jorgino and Barella um, in senior in midfield uh, and then, you know, a, a young defender like Bastoni is going to be in the team. Uh, it, it is, to my mind, a very exciting team. Uh, whether it's, it's uh, as far as doing well in the terms concerned, I'd put it this way, they're not in the um, first row of the, the, the starting grid. That would have to be, it would be sides like France and, and Belgium um, and, and Spain, I would say, are the three strongest sides going into these European championships. But to be on the second row of the grid, 
you know, alongside um, somewhere like uh, somebody like I England, for example, I'd see them as that. Uh, I would expect them. I would expect them. You know, for them, uh, a, a good result, a really good result, would be to get to the semi-finals. Uh, wouldn't say they could be good. They'd be good enough to win it, but they could certainly get the semi-finals. Will fans be expected to uh, attend those the first match in Rome? Yeah, it was going to be about fifteen thousand fans. The fifteen thousand fans are allowed into to the games in, in the Olympic Stadium, and those fifteen thousand fans are going to be very, um, uh, very glad to get back into the stadium. They're going to be very excited about looking at this Italian team because the expectations. I, I, I just give you my expectations, but their expectations are much higher than that. They're sky high, because. Uh, you know, Mancini's team is now on is it, 27 games without defeat. Uh, they won all their games in their qualifying group. Um, but they haven't yet. The point is about that is they haven't yet played the, the very strongest sides in European or world football. And uh, that remains to be seen at the championships. That may come as quite a surprise considering they missed out on World Cup qualification uh, last yeah. time around. So maybe the fans' expectations would be way above what should really be normal considering those facts. Yeah, yeah no, the fans' expectations might be too realistic, but they're delighted that, you know, uh, Italy are back at the top table of international football, which is where Italians feel Italy always belongs. I mean, you know, Italy's a four-time World Cup winner. Not many countries have won the World Cup even once. Italy won it four times. And um, they uh, were bitterly disappointed, not to say uh, humiliated, by uh, Italy's failure to qualify for Russia in uh, 2018. Uh, you know, remember they were beaten in a playoff uh, by Sweden. And uh, that was the... You know, somebody like uh, Giorgio Chiellini, the big uh, Juventus and Italy uh, centre-back, he described that recently, he described that moment as the worst moment in the last 50 years of Italian football, that uh, failure to qualify. So, uh, and it was it was a na basically <laughs> national tragedy. Uh, uh, there's no other way of uh, putting it. And uh, people are delighted that Mancini's managed to put together what looks like a very good team, very interesting team. Uh, and um, uh, obviously he's generated a lot of excitement, a lot of expectations. And as I say, I say, probably the expectations will be, in the end, unrealistically high. Fantastic stuff. Paddy Agnew, Italian football expert. Many thanks for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show and have a fantastic weekend. You're most welcome. Thank you very much.